Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Midlife AF. Today I have the pleasure of talking to the wonderful Jenny Loran from the Autistic Revolution. I came across Jenny on social media and she had written some really amazing things. She's part of a, um, a group of amazing humans who are publishing content um, from a neuroaffirmative perspective and creating some really, really insightful information, collation and education. She's an advocate, a mum and a neurodivergent human being herself, which she can talk to more about in the conversation. And she's also alcohol-free, and she found that alcohol was causing her great deal of anxiety, making her anxiety much worse, which is many people's experience. And so we talk a little bit about what it's like managing, working with, advocating for, and being a co-regulator for our kids and ourselves and how removing alcohol from the equation can make this a little bit easier. <laughs> so over to me and Jen. If you're a woman in midlife whose intuition is telling you that giving booze the elbow might be the next right move, then Midlife AF is the podcast for you. Join counsellor, psychotherapist, this naked mind and grey area drinking alcohol coach Emma Gilmore for a weekly natter about parenting quirky teens, menopause, relationships and navigating this thing called midlife alcohol free. If you're feeling that life could be so much more, that you're sick and tired of doing all the things for everyone else, if your intuition is waving her arms manically at you saying it could all be so much easier if we didn't have to keep drinking, Come with me. Together we'll find our groove without booze. I lovingly acknowledge the Boonarung people of the Kulon Nation as the custodians of Kurt Barok. I share my admiration for the Aboriginal culture. I witness the connection that they have for each other and the land and their community. As I swim in the waters and walk on the land, I feel the power of this place. I'm grateful for the Aboriginal people's amazing custodianship, the power, beauty, and the healing potential of this place. I wish to pay special respects to the elders of the Boonarong people. Their wisdom, guidance, and support are exceptional and felt well beyond the Aboriginal community. I honor that this is Aboriginal land and that it has never been ceded. I am committed to listening to the Aboriginal community and learning how I can be an active ally in their journey to justice. I met Jenny online very recently. Um, we were commenting on each other's um, posts and I thought, gosh, this lady seems really awesome. Um, and she seems like she has a lot to say that would be very relevant to the people in my community. Um, and so I thought we'd have a conversation. We, we have a little meeting each other online. So we just met 15 minutes beforehand, just a quick like, hi, how are you? But um, Jenny, would you like to introduce yourself to um, the people watching? Yes, yeah, so thank you for 
first of all, Emma, for inviting me. So appreciated. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I'm Jenny uh, Lochran. Um, I am a self-identified autistic uh, polyenic person. Um, and for the folks who haven't heard of the term of polyenic before, it means many thoughts. Mm -hmm. And it's my preferred alternative to ADHD because right. I'm not keen on the deficit and disorder part. Um, um, so I prefer polyenic. Um, I have a, a neurodivergent uh, young person who is 15. Um, he is diagnosed autistic. He's had the privilege of a, of a diagnosis. Um, diagnosis is a privilege because there's many barriers to that, yeah. which is why I say privileged, privileged um, because I've been able to use my polyenic brain and um navigate the system um uh which is a you know whole a whole other thing um so yeah he he is a diagnosed um autistic young person who is 15 um called joseph um i am also uh part of um a digital magazine called autistic revolution uh, who, uh, yeah, were, were exclusively developed um, by autistic folk. So that's exciting. We're, we're launching at any moment. Um, I used to be a teaching assistant, um, predominantly supporting neurodivergent children. Um, I've helped families navigate the system. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I have many things and done many things. Yeah. <laughs> It's lovely to meet you, Jenny. Thank you. That's the short version. Yes. <laughs> well, I came across Jenny, I think initially, I think I maybe had followed you a little bit, and then I saw this amazing post that kind of has taken a lot of the people in our community, you know, people have really kind of gone, wow, she's, she's really got this, and this is something that we could all really use and is going to be really helpful for us in navigating the, the school, the health, the social system in terms of our kids. I wonder, Jenny, would you just be able to talk just a tiny bit about that? Um, yeah, so I put a post out. Um, actually, I actually put a post out quite a while ago um, on my own personal page. Um, and it was a focus on on a document that's in this country, um, which is an education uh, and healthcare plan, which is supposed to be a legally binding document that right. you can put a parental request in, um, the, the school can put uh, also a, a request in, um, if you feel that your child's needs are not being met within school. Um, and so, you know, that, that whole process is really very complicated, very draining. And for some parents, if they're not coming from a place of empowerment and being informed in terms of understanding the SEN code of practice um, and understanding all of the SEND regulations, it's a pretty scary place to be. Um, and so I just wanted to um, provide a really alternative, empowering um, I guess option for folks to be able to look at take elements out of that if it was relevant for their family and use it in a proactive way um it's what i've used for my son um within his plan 
Um, we just had his annual review yeah. for preparation for adulthood, which is a really important uh, stage and transition. Um, so I just thought, actually, a lot of people would probably look at this content and be empowered by it and want to use it. And usually within section A, which is child's views and interests, as well as the parents' views and interests, mm. usually a couple of sentences is given. Um, people aren't given really the, I guess, the information to really understand how powerful that section A can potentially be. Yeah. So I just wanted to, I guess, uh, provide that and then parents can look at that, discuss it with a young person and see if it means anything for them and then and then use it, tweak it, amend it, do whatever they really want with it, really. Yeah, I, I loved it. I, I read it and I just felt like I could feel the tears come into my eyes. I was thinking, this is exactly how I would like to be speaking and I would like to see my child's um, experience of living the way that they're living right now and what they need from the people around them uh, in order to support them not coming from a place of there's anything wrong with them and I, I love that about uh, I love that about it um, it was really interesting I was I saw something online today um, and it might have been you it might have been someone else and we were talking about that sort of um, you know this idea that we have good or bad days and I remember talking to my young person and they said I actually all of my days are, are good it's it I, like whether I'm at home or I'm at, you know able to go into education or not I my days are good it's somebody else is saying my days are bad when I can't get out of bed and do the things that the expectations are and I just thought that's something that's so like that idea of not putting our judgment, our, our societal kind of categorization of what, you know, things, whether things are in that binary kind of viewpoint. Um, and I get, go on, you can speak. I think there's a, a really um, outdated, old fashioned, uh, oppressive view of neurodivergent people in general and in, in um, our situation um joseph historically has not been enabled to be himself as an autistic yes. person so the outcomes and targets so a good outcome yes. that's written it in an education and healthcare plan or a my plan or a my passport yes. um has all been around how can we stop this child from behaving in this way when actually that child's behavior might very well be part of their autistic culture That's so similar would be a perfect example of that so you know asking a child not to i don't know pace up and down or to sit still sit up stop yeah. fidgeting yeah. stop flapping all of these instructions that we give children um is actually you're taking away their tools yeah. from helping them to feel more regulated. The central nervous totally. system is doing a very clever thing. It's it's giving them a tool 
It's giving them movement. And depending whether a child is a sensory seeker, a sensory avoider, a bit of both, mm. you know, that is a tool. But I think there's so much misinformation about stimming in general. The language and the instructions that are used are coming from a place of uneducation yeah. and, and uh, misinformation. And yeah. so when the child follows those instructions and tries to stop stimming mm. because mm. they're you know they want to be seen to be good or a good yeah. listener yeah and they become compliant and everybody's looking at them and so they'll try and oppress that um all the outcome really is doing is teaching that child not understanding their central nervous system yeah. not understanding their body and not understanding what works for them yes. so what might be a positive or a successful outcome yes for the author or yes. the person that's written the outcome or the teacher or ta that's been told that they have to meet the outcome mm. because otherwise they're not enabling that child to progress mm. that's not actually what success looks and yes. feels like for the young person so, it's the opposite yeah. So we need to actually flip the narrative of, mm. or make that mindset, shift the mindset and go, well, that might be what success looks like for the school, for yeah. the teacher, the TA, for society. Yeah. But actually, is that what success feels and looks like for the young person? No, because that young person now is even more dysregulated and presenting externally what might be seen in a negative way. And that's why people will then go, oh, they've got behavioural problems. Mm. No, no, no. Mm. No, they haven't got behavioural problems. Again, language yeah. problems. Yeah. They are dysregulated. Regulated, that's it. Um, you know, so the language within a document mm. such as an education and healthcare mm. plan, or any any document really, not 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 a legally binding, not just a legally binding document, but any document that that writes or documents or records any information on a young person, that young person should have ownership over those words mm. because that document and data is about them. You know, right. so they should have ownership over what is recorded. So that's why, you know, anything that's written about Joseph, I have full and he has full autonomy over that document because it's his data, it's his. And what about if he doesn't want to be described as having behavioural problems? Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. what what about what about that? So we need to look about think about the language that that we use. Um and so as you can see, it's it's my passion. Um, oh, totally. Your neurodivergent affirming language is one of my passions. So important. Um, and it's, you know, pathologizing of neurodivergent people is so deeply ingrained yes. in society. We yes. don't question it at all. Absolutely. And I loved in that piece as well where you wrote about um, the relationship that your son has with his mum and how that works because people don't understand I think outside of um, the community that kind of so for me Daisy will look at me and she will go she will go can you can you and people don't understand they think it's and it's because she knows 
that I, I, we've got that relational safety with each other and she knows that I won't misrepresent her and I will always check in and make sure that what I'm but she won't always want she won't want to necessarily be the voice I think that's okay yeah and I think if you think about have you heard of the analogy spoons yes so if you think about how many spoons it takes in order for us Joseph any other autistic or otherwise neurodivergent Mm. person to talk to people Mm. okay when at times you know they might have already had a really stressful day up until that point Mm. and then somebody's asking some information from them automatically can sometimes put you in a place of panic because now there's uncertainty yeah and now you're not sure what those expectations are and now you've got to uh re i guess reorganize your brain Mm. to be able to process what that person's asking of you to then give them an answer so there's a lot in terms of processing and cognition and communication there's a lot to that so you know if if joseph is wanting to share some information and he's really wanting to give that information to somebody yeah it's probably based on his passions and dedicated interests um but actually he needs to have autonomy over that so like Mm. you said he will say you tell them mummy you start Mm. me off mummy Mm. Mm -mm. um Mm. Now, some people will go, no, you tell us, Joseph, you tell us. But I think that's because they're coming from a place of they don't realise how much of Joseph or or how much he's having to give of himself to give them that information. So by me starting that off is facilitating the rest of that conversation. Mm -hmm. So it's a springboard. Yes, Joseph. Of course, I will. So yeah. I'm a springboard to then. Then, then if I if I've said something incorrect or I've not given all the right information, yeah. he will then say, "Actually, mommy, it's like yeah. this," and then the conversation will flow. So it's just about having that springboard and being that spring, mm. springboard for that young person, but also giving them the option of not having to speak right. as well. That, yeah. That's a choice, you know. Yeah. Um, you know if you haven't got the spoons and the energy to be able to speak then Mm. don't speak it's Mm. it's it's fine it's 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 so much pressure to communicate and to engage in a certain way um and you know when we bring it back to the non-speaking community okay Mm. so for lots of different reasons um and I'm not here to represent the non-speaking yeah. community because the non-speaking community can do that very well <laughs> without, without, without my help. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the amount of pressure that we put on people to communicate one way by using math words, yeah. again, is just a really old-fashioned view in that there's only one way to communicate when there isn't. There's lots of different ways to communicate over using math words. Um, mm-hmm. And so... I love that, Jenny. Thank you for that. Um, and I just, I, I, hundred um, percent agree with you. I think it's, it's, yes, there's just so much to kind of learn about. We kind of like for me, I grew up sort of accepting all these things to be true, and then 
having gone on this journey that I've been on with my kids, learning my own neurodivergence, and then also, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, but also kind of taking um, the mask that I had around alcohol. So alcohol for me allowed me to be a certain person. And it's only having taken that off and having kind of gone through this journey that I've been through with the kids that I've really discovered who actually I am underneath all of this. And I know um, one of the things that you and I connected on was, I can't remember what post I'd put, but you were, you um, said something about your experience of going um, alcohol free. Uh, would you like to talk a bit, would you be open to, would it be okay for you to talk a little bit about that for us? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'm 48 um, and I'm a really late identified autistic mm -hmm. person um, and I'm, I'm currently going through assessment. So I have my last, the last final stage of the assessment this week. Um, so there's all, there's all that going on. Mm -hmm. um, but I was always, um, you know, look, looking, looking back now, I can reflect and unpick, but historically, I've led my life not realizing that I was autistic. So when I was using alcohol, mm. I realized now that I was seeking a false form of regulation because having to navigate the system led me, I guess, to drinking more than what I probably should definitely yeah. but also the feeling of being completely and utterly burnt out um autistic burnout but I didn't realize I was in autistic burnout um led me to wanting to drink more so alcohol for me became a self a self-medicator but also it just it just helped i thought it was helping me to feel more regulated so it was yeah. i what i realized now it was a false type of regulation and a very unhelpful type of regulation and it wasn't until i had my first panic attack mm. because i've really suffered with really bad panic attacks the last few years mm. um that i realized that I needed to stop because the fear of the panic attack superseded, I guess, the feeling that drink gave me. Um, so those panic attacks uh, were, yeah, I, I thought I was having a heart attack and I actually rang 999 on my first one in the middle of the night. Um, and the, the children were here and my husband was on nights and it was. Yeah, it was a really scary thing. But even then, it didn't make the link yeah. in terms of the alcohol being one of the triggers. It yeah. wasn't the only trigger, no. but it was one of the triggers. And I didn't make that link even then. Um, yeah, so it is unfortunately very common for autistic and otherwise neurodivergent people to self-medicate using medication, drugs, alcohol. Yeah. Um, and that again goes back to not understanding your central nervous system yeah. not understanding yourself as a neurodivergent person not understanding why your mental health is is 
has deteriorated um, not because that person might be autistic or otherwise neurodivergent mm. because again there's a misconception that being autistic is a mental health condition yeah. it isn't yeah, not. Yeah. and it isn't a disorder or a condition again mm. that comes from ideology the idea that it, that it is but you know as an autistic person um my mental health has definitely impacted and deteriorated because I'm an I was an unidentified autistic person and didn't realise it. I didn't understand that, you know, I've been in autistic burnout and I have been in autistic burnout and will I will forevermore have periods of being in autistic burnout. And so when you're in that and you don't you're discovering yourself and you're peeling back the layers and I thought my son for that mm. um then really start to deep dive into your life and the unhealthy habits that you've chosen um and not even consciously sometimes it's not even an yeah. unconscious choice yeah. 100%. um you, you want to do something just to feel better yeah um yeah, yeah. So, so i guess for me that was part well it is part of my reflection mm. as unlearning to to mm. be neurotypical yes. and completely removing that mask and mm. placing healthy boundaries around myself and not drinking yes. alcohol is a way of placing healthy boundaries yeah. around myself and my family yeah. and and my family because if yeah. i'm not my best self mm. you know the best autistic person that i can be then i'm not in a best position to advocate for my son and yes yeah. be the glue that my family needs me to be so um my choice of not turning to alcohol is to do with maintaining our lives as no as a neurodivergent family yeah yeah i love that that's very that's why i was like when i listened to jenny like posting and things i'm like this lady and i really connect because when you're speaking that i'm like this is how i feel as well it just feels like this uh it's part for me it's it's part of coming back to my authenticity like coming back to who i am and you know i and i'm sure i've seen you writing something around um how this you know kind of journey um with your you know with your son and with yourself has it's like it's kind of like a coming home coming home yeah i've called it neurodivergent, neurodivergent awakenings beautiful <laughs> I, I love that i love that i did a, a blog um oh yeah i blog uh celebrating the neurodiversity paradigm it's it's called um Fantastic. um and that was a part that was a way for me to empty my brain because my poly brain is never ever ever switches off um and after i had navigated the system to secure my son into secondary provision which i think they would class themselves as a, a special school but i'm not keen on the word special yeah. i just think it's patronizing yeah. Yeah, um and 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 he's have actually had to bring him out of that now and is is mm. is accessing an EOTAS package which mm. is education other than other than at school yes. um yes. but 
Oh, I can't remember what I was saying. See, I do this. No, I do it too. Um, I've gone off on a little tangent. It'll come okay. back. In the, it'll come back in uh, a moment. We were um, talking about coming home to self, and you were talking about your blog. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and part of that. Thank you. That's all right. For bringing me back. I, I, I do the same. So if you could do the same yeah. for me, that'd be great. That's great. <laughs> Fabulous. Um, yeah, part of writing those blogs was about trying to empty that, that business, but also reflecting and exploring. And because I'd gone through that navigating and I had to leave my job as a TA just mm -hmm. to be able to, to find the time to evidence need now i mean that's a whole podcast in itself isn't it isn't it you know you, you know get i've had to leave my job in order to i i hear you i am literally at the point of most of the time like, like how can i do this as my job and advocate for my child i the amount of real work i mean i'm, I'm starting to put things into place but i really hear you it is just a minefield you almost have to learn a whole it's like i remember somebody telling me you know when you go through different things in life you have to almost learn like whole systems and stuff and it's like it's just it, it's it's unfathomable it, when you start it's like it yeah. is and that's anyway you... yeah and, and i think um that that had a big impact on me leaving my job because I loved my job and it was a very yeah. small school and it was a very small team and that worked well yeah. for my neurodivergence and I didn't understand didn't know then either that I was autistic but mm. that small team and, and and all of that really worked well for me but yeah so I had to leave my job um and then I, I got to a place where actually his first year within that provision was was, was actually okay it was good yeah um, and that brought me to a place of okay i've got time on my hands yeah brain <laughs> needing to yeah, do yeah. something so yeah, i yeah. Started, started to blog and then i realized that through going on that journey with my son and through joseph growing up mm. i actually saw myself in him mm. um, um and when he left primary school, he was a very traumatized and damaged young person. Yeah. As an un, as an un kind of unidentified autistic person. And when I say uh, there's two elements to that, you can be diagnosed as an autistic person. Yeah. But then the, everyone outside of that diagnosed person doesn't say, great, you're autistic. Right, yeah. you know, let's give you lots of information to go empower yourself about yeah. autistic culture. This is what autistic identity is. Now you can reframe your whole human experience and not be neurotypical, not present as a neurotypical mm. person anymore. Mm. You can present as yourself. Go, you know, let's let's find out who you are as, as an autistic person. Let's start on that discovery. And that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Yeah. What happens is it goes, they go, you know, right, what can we do to fix you? Fix what you. can we do to yeah. treat you? What can we yeah. do to train you not to present this way? Yeah. yeah. And I made a decision that that was not going to continue. We were not I going agree. to continue on that because Jesus' well-being is actually the priority. That's, that, that's the thing, his, his mm -hmm. well-being. Because if you want him to be successful and, and one day maybe get a job, then he needs to be 
be thriving. Yes. He needs to come from a place of being empowered and informed. Yeah. He needs to be able to self-advocate for himself. He's not going to be able to do that if we're following this line where he's expected not to be himself. Um, yeah. So through the whole of that, I actually then started to question who I was, yeah. what unhealthy behaviours have I historically picked up? Um, why is everybody else not understanding him when to me it's clear yeah. as day? Um, and so then I guess the last five years has catapulted me into my own neurodivergent awakening. And in the same way that I'm helping Joseph to understand who he actually is, mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, how what others need him to be yeah. for the benefit of themselves. Yes. who he is and who he wants to be and you know using his passions and dedicated interests and embedding that into you know all of his life um because you know as parents we're not always going to be here that's a fact so yeah. you know we have to start as early as possible to help children to accept themselves as they are, understand yeah. their own neurotype, mm -hmm. understand their central nervous system, um, have access to sensory integrated occupational therapists, yeah. which generally children and families don't have access to and don't know how to access them. Yeah. Um, yeah. That to me is a basic human right to get mm -hmm. to know your body yeah. because then there's less likely, you're less likely going to be able to seek alternative uh, drugs, medication, yeah. alcohol, uh, to try and, I guess, dumb down, yeah. desensitize, uh, regulate your body, when actually all you're doing is harming yourself even further but in a physical yeah. way, on top of all the emotional abuse as well. Exactly. exactly. It's a really good point you make, and it's one of my, oh, just a, such a passion of mine as well, because I see often with the people that I work with, I see the kind of results in that sort of, you know, 40, 50-year-old women like me who were undiagnosed. And, you know, you see, you know, that there's so much connection and research going on now between you know, suppression of self and um, the impact that that has on us, not just in terms of our mental health, but also our physical health as well. And it's just, it's, it, for me as a parent, it's something I feel so strongly about is that not forcing my children to comply because that's what's expected to of us in a society that is getting it so wrong all the time. <laughs> from what you can you know once you start to kind of witness it all it becomes it's almost like yes it's this is a, a terrible situation for our children as neurodiverse children i almost say that they're the canaries in the mine shaft because you know it's not you know it's not possible for um us to continue the way that we are, our children are saying no, and they're amazing for that. But it, but there's a trauma that comes along with that as well. 
and the trauma of our own experiences of going through the same uh, as younger people in a different generation. And, you know, everything that I hear that we need to do for our neurodivergent children, it seems like would be helpful for everybody anyway. So it doesn't seem to me to make any sense to not do the things that are going to help the neurodivergent kids. It just seems to me like the, the neurodivergent uh, strategies are going to bring so many benefits to everybody. I think when we look at language, and language can empower, validate, or marginalise and oppress. Mm. And one of the words, um, I mean, a lot of the neurodivergent, I guess, empowering language that I've come across has come from um, uh, a person called Nick Walker okay. and she has wrote a book called Neuroqueer Hearsays okay. um, and, and she is a <clears throat> an autistic scholar um, and she her, 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 her general writing her um, ideology the language that she uses um has been an absolute tool for me in terms of advocating for myself and advocating for my child and advocating mm. for others so i've been able to use that wonderful source of information <clears throat> um to be able to use that as my toolkit i, yeah. I guess and one yeah. of the words um that she talks about <clears throat> um is 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 neurodiversity now uh, Nick yes. herself didn't coin that term, um, and yes. I can't remember off the top of my head um, who who did. Yeah. So you'll have to forgive forgive yeah, me. I can worry. find out and put yeah, it in sorry. comments. Um, but the word neurodiversity is actually all of humanity. Yeah, right. And it's a That's little, exactly right. you know, it's a little bit of a buzzword at the moment. But people are using it in the wrong context, and it's not mm. fair on the on the on the person that has termed the coin mm. because um it, it she, she actually it's actually used to reflect the whole of humanity in that yes. there yeah. is no such thing as normal yes so correct Normal's a... you know it, it's 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 a word that is used under the pathology paradigm and a paradigm okay. is just an ideology that is all it exactly. is it's just an ideology and the term neurodiversity is a representation of the whole of the humanity in that each variant brain type is unique yeah. to the next. And, and there is no such thing as normal. The word normal is used to marginalise and oppress and to, and, to, and to support compliance, mm. compliance training. So that's the mm. reason why I'm bringing that word in, because, um, you know, we, we go, we don't teach children within schools about neurodiversity mm. we don't mm. do that different types yeah we don't brains. we we concentrate yeah. on one model of being yeah. and that model has been um portrayed as the gold standard mm. of being you know mm. again nick walker talks about it the gold standard of being but whoever decided that that should be the gold standard right. of being so anybody's you know that's not able to present neurotypically mm not able to present one way mm -hmm. um, is then marginalized and measured against that one way of being and you know all 
autistic people are one of those minority groups that is marginalized and, and oppressed and measured against that one way of being and so when you talk about mental health and and schools talk about how important mental health is in the emphasis on well-being how can we possibly prioritize how are we how are we saying as a society that we are prioritizing all children when we're placing them in a system that only recognizes one model of being and that's when the mental health deterioration comes in not because an autistic person has a mental health condition because they are autistic that's that's not true actually it that's not the case our mental health is impacted because everything outside of being um autistic is problematic and harmful for us yes yes um and that's where the mental health deterioration comes in so if we were to celebrate the neurodiversity paradigm okay so the, the ideology that we are all in actually fact different and we use that as an opportunity to be creative you know we create a world that is in line with all of our neurodivergences um that would be a, a, that would be something to, to to behold you know mm-hmm. using all of the different types of neurotypes in the education system and seeing what can come out of that yeah. that is a beautiful opportunity but we don't do that um and that that's why you know cams um the children's mental health services yeah. are so oversubscribed yeah that's why i'm not saying it's the reason but one of the reasons is because we're continuing to not enable children to be themselves and when we give children that can present neurotypically the option of being themselves be yourself be yourself we don't give autistic and otherwise neurodivergent children the opportunity and the space and the platform to be themselves so straight away that's where the marginalization is right that's exactly right that's exactly right. I love this conversation, Jenny. I have so, you're so clever. I can't wait to have more conversations with you. It's going to be wonderful. It's like, oh, she's, she's, and, and also just to, it's so, language is so important. We're all learning new language, right? We're learning, like my son is um, a trans um, person who identifies as he, him. So him and I have been on this amazing um, journey together of understanding the right uh, words to use and how important language is and similarly um, in this and as again as a fresh fairly fresh I, like you I um, my kids were only diagnosed well my kids were only diagnosed relatively recently because female assigned at birth kids very very common I'm sure you know as well for not you know not to get that incredibly late diagnosis when everything just goes because we can't do it anymore um and then you know going through this journey myself again i'm still learning the language and i want to make sure that i use you know the appropriate language or that people will let me know if i don't um and i think you know people like yourself coming out and speaking so beautifully about what is infirming and i know the difference between an affirming practice like 
we've just gone we've gone from um being in the health in the sort of like the health system kind of uh pathologizing kind of um it's not been a great experience i'll put it that way but i've been doing a lot of advocating and sort of educating but it's exhausting and now we've gone we've moved to a neuroaffirming you know kind of um what do you call it when something surrounds you it's like a, a, a care go on so I, I want to say sphere <laughs> yes exactly like a, a place where you know the people in our world we they're all neuroaffirming people so you've not got these people kind of making and just the trauma that did to us as a family just like having people kind of make our behavior or make my child's behavior out to be something that was wrong with them and that needed to be corrected um was really harmful and you know it's going to take a, a long time of undoing um but just you know listening to people like you who are able to help those of us who haven't learnt it all yet and are still feeling so flabbergasted by the whole system and and still believe that the people in charge to a certain extent have our best interests at heart which is one of the biggest things to kind of like you know that actually in so many cases that's not the case and not because they're assholes but because they they genuinely don't know different they don't know any different and i think you it know comes from a place of, of super oh i'm going to say a word now that i always super 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 oh, what's the word when you think you're you have oh, what is the word i can say it but i can never say it superiority yes yes over somebody exactly. over somebody so yeah. you know autistic um and otherwise neurodivergent people are used to people having say the word for me super superiority superiority i can never say it superiority <laughs> it's one of those words superiority um they they you they're used to ha having people hold that over them yeah. and i think professionals historically have only received training from a pathologizing narrative so they haven't been given an alternative they haven't been given another way and so you know is is i think professionals want to do their best i don't think do. any professionals go go into a setting wanting to harm children young people and adults right so i think we have to give an alternative we have yeah. to give a choice um and once you know better you should do better yes. you know it's 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 a choice if you are then educated and then you decide that actually i don't agree with that you know then that that's a different thing but you know you you have a choice as a professional and why would you not want to empower and validate a child or young person or even adult why would you not want to do that yeah be part yeah. of that empowering movement um yeah and you know just going back to what you were saying about um your son is that it's, it's actually in my opinion i feel very strongly about this it's actually thanks to those other minority groups such as the lgbt 
QIA community that have been fighting for so long yes. and been part of a movement that has had to address language. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So because of those movements, we know better now. We know mm. about gender identity. We know mm. about cultural identity. We know about sexual identity. We should know about autistic identity, Absolutely. but we're just not quite there yet. And, no. you know, in terms of the black, indigenous, people of colour communities, mm. you know, the non-speaking communities, it's not all just one community. There are yeah. communities within the community. Yes. There, there, there is minority groups within minority groups. So when we talk about diagnosis, as a as a white um as a white autistic person mm. that is heterosexual mm. and can use mouth words mm. i come from a place of privilege yeah, yeah. i can use yeah. my words to self-advocate i mm -hmm. can navigate the system i can access yes. the system on behalf of my child now yes. you know if you are the black non-speaking um non-binary gay autistic person mm. if you can imagine all of the barriers that they might have so you know i i consider myself as coming from a place of privilege yes. um and that's one of the reasons why you know i advocate for others i can't advocate for the non-speaking community i can't do that they can do that for themselves yeah. you know more than capable i can't advocate for the black indigenous people of community i'm mm. not black mm. <laughs> they mm. have mm. you know they you know they don't need me to do that yes. um as well the lgbtqia plus communities but it's because of those communities that we are all having this conversation mm. as a collective around identity because we can have many identities um so self-advocacy is massively important um, but teaching children to self-advocate takes a long, long time. Yes. And it has to start um, as early as possible, including using neurodiversity affirming language. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I love that. I love that, Jenny. Thank you so much. What an amazing conversation. I hope that we will have many more because um, I think there's so much to be learnt from everything that you say and uh, I'm just really glad you're out there in the world um, helping those of us who are learning to, 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 to learn a little bit quicker in a, in a beautiful, safe and nurturing and kind way. So I really, thank you so much. I really, I, I really appreciate that and thank you so much for the, for the, for the invite. Oh. And like you say, you know, we, we can be kind to each other, we can be respectful to each other as a society. As human beings, we should all be able to live alongside each other within our communities and embrace each other as we are and, and not marginalise. So I would like to thank you for giving me the opportunity to come on and, and, and speak um, a little bit. I hope some of it's made sense. Oh, completely. <laughs> You're so articulate. It's fantastic. And I love that we were both able to help each other with words. <laughs> Always. <laughs> and then I was going to um, ask Jenny, for those people in my community who haven't come across you before, 
would you be um, able just to, to, to share where people can find you? And obviously I'll tag you in this and, and in anything that we do from the podcast perspective going forward. Um, yeah, so um, you can find me on Facebook. Um, I'll give you a couple of options under celebrating the neurodiversity paradigm, uh, where Joseph and I um, continue to explore our neurodivergent awakenings. Um, and there's lots of different blogs in there that I've written around. One of them is Spectacular Sensory Seeking Stims. Oh. One of them is, is, is called. Um, I and I blog about lots of different types of, of subjects. Um, so there's that. Um, also, um, I uh, play a part in um, helping to deliver Autistic Revolution. We're on Facebook. Um, we are a, a, a digital a digital publication that is um, exclusively delivered by autistic people for the benefit of neurodiversity. So for the benefit of everyone, um, and we will be covering all sorts of types of topics from um, sexual health and yeah. relationships yeah. because um, relationships and, and, and sexual relationships and connections can look very different for autistic and otherwise neurodivergent people mm. and that's fabulous um sensory experiences and differences um cooking food pathological demand yes. avoidance sleep yes and um, gaming um, <laughs> blog, uh, blog reviews, uh, podcasts, we're basically representing mm -hmm. the autistic community in an empowering and an affirming way and all of the content will be full of empowering and validating language to reframe the autistic lived experience. I would just like to give a quick shout, shout out to Laura Hellfeld because I see that she's watching right now. Um, so, hi, Laura. Um, Laura is the page guide for our well-being and mental health uh, department and also um, uh, she is just a wonderful uh, neurodivergent nurse who specializes in, in, in PDA food and sleep um, oh, amazing. So I've just seen a pop-up so I'm just saying hi to her um, um, so, so yeah that's that's me and and, and us yes <laughs> oh. Well, it's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much, Jenny, and we'll keep in touch for 100%. And thank you for sharing all that amazing information and a little bit about your own experience um, with alcohol as well. So I really appreciate that too. Thank you so, so much for your vulnerability. Thank you, Emma. And thank you for offering this neurodivergent affirming space. Mm -hmm. um, let's hope we can create lots of neurodivergent affirming spaces so people yeah. can just be themselves. Yeah amazing Thanks thank so you much. lovely take care right have a lovely rest of your day thank you bye, bye bye super quick i just want to let you know about a couple of things that we've got going on at hope rising coaching we've got the opportunity to join my vip elite 30 day alcohol experiment where i work with you one-to-one -one on a 30-day journey so it's really for people who've tried to stop before or take a break before but have really struggled because they need that accountability and they need that kind of one-to-one -one support they like the privacy and they really want to be able to kind of cut to it quickly and get that really really deep intensive but quick sharp short sharp um 
experience, which I know many of us who are really, really busy, we don't have time sometimes to kind of wade through information. And we just really want to someone to help us by being there and answering our specific needs when we want them. So that's what that is. So please feel free to join. Um, I've got a few spaces left for November. And then the other thing that I'm offering to run from November through to January is the opportunity to join my membership program. This is for people who have had 30 days alcohol free and are interested in taking a longer period of off from drinking. Um, the thing that's particularly interesting for me about November, December and January is that we are going to go on a journey together, exploring Michael trying to remember his surname now sorry Michael Brown's book The Presence Process and we're going to so we're going to do a lot of work around being in our discomfort understanding where our triggers are coming from I believe that doing this process is going to remarkably change for me I believe it's going to bring me much much closer to myself to my authenticity and help me understand my triggers and I'm going to do this with my community, those of the those of them that want to do that. So we're going to have a little offshoot group and we're going to do 15 minutes. It's 15 minutes twice a day of breath work and contemplating the text. And really what we'll be doing is you'll have access to my normal Be The Lighthouse program, which is a, a weekly coaching and Marco Polo support. Um, and in addition to that, if you would like to, you can take part in this three month journey with us. And that is going to be a run on Marco Polo. And it is, it's your own journey. So you're going to buy the book and, but we'll do it together. So it's like the accountability part. And, you know, I have, a, I have a very, very strong feeling that this is going to be incredibly transformational for me and part of my journey and getting closer to myself, understanding my triggers and being able to stand in my authenticity and seize the power that we all have inside us that many of us feel a little bit overwhelmed and in uh, in harnessing and nurturing. So feel free to come and join us. And um, the link for both are going to be in the show notes. And I wish you well. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Midlife AF with Emma Gilmore. If you enjoyed it, please share on Instagram for your friends and tag me at Hope Rising Coaching. If you want to help me grow the podcast, please review the episodes for me on Apple Podcasts. That really helps. If you would like to work further with me, please go to my website, www.hoperisingcoaching.com for my free and paid programs or email me at emma at hoperisingcoaching.com. Sending a massive cuddle to you and yours from me and mine. And remember to keep choosing you.